This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Strangers and Aliens, episode 163, M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. I am your father's best friend's plumber. Superman. Wonder Woman. Heroes. Villains. Captain Picard versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did was that he created something, so we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Strangers and Aliens. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm here to talk with you about a movie called Crimson Peak. And <clears throat> this is not part of the summer movie series, but unlike last time, where I forgot to say something up front, uh, up front right now, I'm saying uh, the first half of this review is going to be spoiler free. The second half is going to be spoiler filled. So first half is really aimed at talking about general themes and ideas and uh, recommendation. And the second half is getting into the the nitty gritty of the the plot details. So, yeah, so Crimson Peak is a movie that I've been waiting for. Uh, it's a Guillermo del Toro movie that, you know, he is someone who uh, I really like as a director. Um, Pan's Labyrinth is a movie that I really, really like. Uh, it's it's a movie that I, I've described as being uh, brutally beautiful or beautifully brutal, depending on the scene. And there's a lot to that movie, Pan's Labyrinth. And I mean, when I say there's a lot to it, I mean, it's got a rich visual style. It's got uh, themes out the wazoo. I mean, there's so much going on with the just the ideas of what the movie is dealing with. And then there's also the story. There's the idea of the child and what the child's going through and then the ending. And there's just a whole lot going for that movie that really uh, it's it's a it's a bloody fairy tale. And that's kind of what I was expecting with Crimson Peak. Now, Guillermo del Toro's most recent movie is Pacific Rim, which is another movie of his I really, really like. Uh, and it's monsters and giant robots beating each other up. And I really, really enjoyed it. And so <clears throat> in between Pan's Labyrinth and and Pacific Rim, you get Hellboy, Hellboy 2, especially Hellboy 2, which is uh, one of those sequels that I think is better than the original, and and Blade 2, Mimic. I mean, these are all Hollywood movies for him. Uh, I've also seen, a, uh, I think, one or two of his uh, Spanish movies, but those didn't make quite the impression on me, partially because they were a w long while ago when I saw them, and partially because uh, at least the one I remember was was in Spanish. And it was a little harder to 
to follow. I, I just wasn't in the right mood. And I think I was falling asleep because it was late at night or something like that. But uh, starting with Mimic, which is very Hollywood, but not, not as much him being able to be in the movie. And then all the way up through, you know, Pacific Rim, where it's it's what he wanted to do. You know, it's this vision that he had to make this basically Voltron uh, kaiju movie. Um, now, Pan's Labyrinth is, I think, one of those where you're getting more of who he is and what really drives him as a storyteller. And so with Crimson Peak here, uh, I think it's similar to what happened with last the last review that I did with The Visit. Crimson Peak feels like it's a movie that he really just wanted to make, even though it might not be the most financially viable. Uh, Pacific Rim made money. It didn't make quite the mounds of money they were hoping it would make, but they are looking at doing a sequel. This being his follow-up, I can't imagine, I haven't looked at the box office for this, but I can't imagine that it made, you know, buku buckets of money. Uh, but it was, you know, came along just in time for Halloween and, you know, they, they marketed it as a haunted house kind of story. And I, so I went in uh, expecting Pan's Labyrinth type of thing, but knowing it wouldn't be nearly as good as Pan's Labyrinth because how could it? Because that's really, 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 really good. Uh, almost a perfect movie. But, you know, it, it, I'm just going to go ahead right now and I, I give uh, Crimson Peak a solid B. I give it a B. It's not perfect. And I'll talk about why it's not perfect to me anyway. But it it's good. It's still good. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm, I'm going to kind of explore this by going into my four quadrants with style, character, theme, and plot. And, you know, like this, this first section here is going to be spoiler free. And I'm going to end this section with who I would recommend this movie to, uh, if anyone. Now, giving it a B, I guess that does kind of tip my hand that, that I would, you know, recommend this to some people at least. But my expectations were, were high because I knew this wasn't a Hollywood uh, or a typical Hollywood horror movie that they would put out in the season uh, because it's a period piece set in 1901 and it's more of a haunted house kind of thing. It's not a slasher kind of thing. It's not found footage or anything like that. So those are my expectations and it, I guess, pretty much lived up to my expectations. It was kind of similar in tone to Pan's Labyrinth, but it wasn't as good as Pan's Labyrinth. And, you know, this is a very, it's a, it's a gothic movie. It is, you know, going into those things, you know, style. It's, this movie is one that is, I won't say it's all style, but it weighs in very heavy on the style uh, quadrant where it's just, uh, everything is so visual. There's so much in every set, every set piece uh, it's just elaborately built. And I was reading about how they actually, you know, they built everything. Uh, the haunted house, the the crimson peak of the title. It was a three-story home that they built. And the they handcrafted every single part of that home. And they worked on it so that all the, the main sets that they were using were all ready to go when they, when they were ready to start shooting. And uh, honestly, every house, every house has a different personality. And you may not see much of each home. 
that they they bounce around to or the some of the other places that they have for their their indoor uh settings but the crimson peak itself especially uh just has personality and literally pulses with personality the visuals then be, become one of the most important pieces and it's not just in the the settings it's not just in the architecture it's not just in the set design it's also in the costuming and it's also in you know elements like the the curtains and you know it, it just they 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 work so hard to make this so real and real to the the time period so but it's it's really then shot it's there's no shaky cam there's a lot of smooth camera movements and gliding movement of the camera and it's very much very very elegantly shot as well there's i think elegant is one word that i would use for this uh the the entire movie the way the people move the way the people are costumed uh there's an elegance to all of this even to the parts of the house where it's more like the underbelly and you you have the furnace and you have this elevator that goes down into a mine and and then even the american sets which are much more utilitarian and much more you know practical as far as these are you know this is a home that he lives in and there's not the extra rooms and the extra space uh, it's it's it can't have that because it's in the city whereas crimson peak is out in the the the, the country, countryside and so and you have this very very different uh coloring to it where crimson peak being out in the countryside it's during the winter and so you have this it's very white it's very cold it's very uh isolated and lonely and sterile uh but then back in you know back in the states where uh edith the main character comes from is you know a little bit claustrophobic a uh, much more you know squeezed in together and there's no real open spaces in, in that scene and in, in those scenes, I should say. And so you have these you know, two very, very different places where, where the people are living and, and coming from and entering. And it's just, it, it works really nicely. Now, when you moving from style into the characters, you basically have, you know, have uh, Edith, who is our main character. And then you have Tom and Lucille, who are their basically seducing her they're seducing her you know they want to marry uh, tom wants to marry her and there's this whole mystery about why and uh how that's all going to work out and eventually i mean edith has lost so much and eventually she does go with tom and goes to the crimson peak which you expect her to do considering that's the title so i hope that's not a spoiler but uh, the characters themselves, there's some blandness there. Uh, they feel to me almost like props that are being moved around and maybe even more part of the style side of things. They, again, elaborate costuming and they they look the part. Uh, everything that's visual about the characters works very, very nicely. But when it comes to actual character and character arcs, I, I, that wasn't. A, a strong point here uh, but that's not to say i didn't like them i i did especially edith you do like her and you feel bad for her as bad things happen to her and around her getting into the the theme though it's very interesting 
Um, and, and also getting to the plot. I almost shouldn't worry too much about spoilers because the movie really spoils itself. <laughs> there's not a lot of suspense. There's not a lot of subtlety, honestly. Uh, you are way ahead of the characters. The movie itself is presenting a mystery. And it's not very mysterious. And I can't tell if he's doing this on purpose with this story, but I, it feels like you are maybe meant to know what is happening way before the movie even tells you what is happening. I mean, it's just very easy to figure out the mystery. Uh, and so you know it before the movie actually tells you. And then you know it way before Edith knows what's going on. And, you know, sometimes that's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, I've talked about before the what of a movie and the how of a story where, you know, what happens if that's the most important thing, if that's what you're hinging your entire story on is just this happens, then this happens, then, oh, surprise, this happens, and oh, surprise, that happens. You know, a Twilight Zone story. The uh, Let me rephrase, not just a Twilight Zone story, but one of the, the weaker of the Twilight Zone stories where it just rests, the entire thing rests on that end twist. And once you've seen that end twist and you know what, you know what is going on, you know what the twist is, you don't necessarily want to go back to some of those. Now, the better written ones, the better written Twilight Zones or uh, any story, really, <laughs> uh, if it bears repeat viewing, it's because of the how. So if you already know what happens, but then it's presenting presented in such a way, how it's presented to you makes it an interesting and a worthwhile story to visit and revisit. And this is one that definitely is not worrying a lot about the what of the plot. And it's not worrying about the um, story arc of the characters. I think that the movie itself is focusing primarily on the how it presents it with the visuals and the reveals. You know, something there's there's something towards the end that's this major revelation, the way the movie presents it to you. But you already figured that out. And and if you haven't figured that out, then you're probably just not watching the movie very closely. But when you get to that revelation, it's still a little bit of a, oh, a shock because of just the way it's shot and the way it's presented. And I guess maybe it's almost more of a shock to say, oh, wow, they're revealing that to me now here. OK. And <clears throat> so the plot itself is very much in uh, kind of in the back seat. And then you have some of the themes. And what's interesting about the themes here is that Guillermo del Toro in the movie itself tells you what the themes are toward the beginning. I'm, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to let it let him tell you. But right at the beginning, he has some of the characters talk about what the theme is and what he's intending to do with this story. And the, there's it's very, very metafictional as far as him just putting words in the character's mouth that are almost as if he is talking to you, the viewer, to say, this is what this is about. This is what this is about. Now, there are other things going on in the story beyond just what he says, literally just out loud using the characters. But, you know, there's things about class and there's things about um, kind of the these the American characters are new money, but they have built their wealth and 
they are working hard and so they are rising up as far as their class goes. But then you have uh, Tom and Lucille who are from from Britain and they are old money, but they have lost a lot of their money. And so they're trying to rebuild their wealth as as their their wealth just kind of drains away. Their old money is just slowly going away as they're trying to keep keep the house up and mine the area around their house, but it's very difficult to mine that kind of that clay that I was talking about. And so you have this interesting inversion of the classes as one lower class is moving up and then one higher class is, is moving down. And then in between that, you have Edith, who is coming from that American family. And so she's used to wealth, but then she has her, her world is shaken. And, <clears throat> and she then is moving over into uh, the other side with, with Tom and Lucille. And she then becomes a part of, of their life. And that, old way of doing things that's slowly going away. I mean, this, in some ways, I guess you could take <laughs> Crimson Peak and say it's almost like, a, um, you know, the horror story version of Downton Abbey, which is all about, you know, losing the aristocracy and, and or aristocracy, aristocracy, aristocracy. I'm going to go with aristocracy. So <clears throat> there's that idea involved in this story. But then there's also uh, the ghosts and like I said, the, the the house that's kind of its own personality, which I'll talk a little bit about uh, in the second half with the, with the spoiler section. But with the ghosts, uh, you know, what are they there for? What are they trying to do? And that becomes really more of the mystery is, okay, specifically, what are these ghosts? And then specifically, what are they doing? Why are they haunting the house? And why... Is she is is Edith seeing these things, and so it there is some mystery there. But like I said, it's a mystery that's not very mysterious, <laughs> and uh, it's it's a horror story that's not very scary. Now, uh, speaking of theme and and style, I guess a little bit here, this does explore some taboo areas uh, that you. But I was a little surprised to see the movie go there. And once it went there, I, I, cause I was watching the movie and thinking, oh man, this almost feels like it's going to go there, but it wouldn't go. Oh, it went there. But again, that's where the, the movie kind of spoils itself. And you're just kind of watching. And if, if you're a, if, if you're paying attention, you're going to figure out why are these ghosts here? You're going to figure out what are Tom and, and Lucille wanting to do. You're going to figure out. Um, who did this bad thing to Edith and why? And you're you're going to be steps ahead of the movie. And if all that this movie was about was that story and that mystery, then that would be a real weakness. However, because it's also about the visual, it's also about the presentation. Uh, you're you're. It's still worth seeing, even if it's not presenting you that mystery, because that's not the movie that it is. That's not the movie that it's trying to be. And in fact, I guess I am going to spoil one line here that's from the beginning of the movie, but where Edith is talking about a story and she says, it's not a ghost story. It's a story with ghosts. And that would be a very, again, Guillermo del Toro, he's saying, hey guys, you came here for this, maybe thinking it's this, but 
ah, that's not the story I wanted to do. And so the story I wanted to do is this one. And this story that I wanted to do, it's not a ghost story. It's a story with ghosts. So as far as recommendation goes, uh, if you haven't seen this, if you like his storytelling style, if you like his visual style, I definitely recommend this movie to you. If you like Pan's Labyrinth, uh, de definitely check it out. And definitely, I don't know if it's worth going seeing this in the theater. Um, the experience on the big screen, that enveloping experience where it's going to you know, pull you into the story and kind of take you away from the, you know, where you're sitting. I'm not sure if it's going to really do that very much. I just know that I, I was watching this movie and just found myself, you know, just willing to go along with where it was taking me, even though it wasn't a wild ride, even though it wasn't a, a scare fest. And even though, you know, it wasn't a creature feature, there's, cool effects the ghosts have interesting effects going on and uh i i don't know if i would say it's completely original but it definitely feels like you know a guillermo del toro type of creature it is rated r and it's rated r for a reason um there is some uh, you do see a, a male character's bottom uh in the midst of a intimate scene and there is a few moments of gross character design and there's some brutal violence uh i can't remember if there's more than one scene uh, there's a couple a couple scenes of of just brutal sharp surprising almost uh violence like similar to to pan's labyrinth honestly and then there is yeah like i said it's not really a horrific movie it's, it's more of an unsettling movie as far as the horror goes but I, I i don't find myself giving you know this real high recommendation uh it's not the kind of thing that i would say hey you know you my little friend who doesn't like this kind of mo movie normally you've got to see this one at least because this one kind of transcends that it, it doesn't if you like his visual style if you have on your shelf the art of hellboy 2 or Pan's Labyrinth or whatever. That's who I would recommend this to. But I don't give it a real high recommendation. And frankly, I was a little disappointed, actually, that I am feeling this way. You know, yeah, see it. You know, if you if you like that. <laughs> uh, I was hoping that I would come out of it going, yeah, oh man, Pan's Labyrinth. It's just like that. Or maybe even be able to say, hey, do not see it. You know, it's not worth your time. If you like Pan's Labyrinth, then you... You know, and you're going into this expecting that you're going to be really, really disappointed. And instead, it's just, you know, hey, go. It's it's another movie from the guy who did that. And it's very visually rich. And there's some thematic elements that are interesting to think about. But that's about it. So now I'm going to jump into the spoiler section and, and talk a little bit about some of the, the specifics of the movie that um, really stuck out to me. Spoilers. 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 Yeah, so here's where I'm going to talk about things very, very spoilerish. And uh, first thing is the house. Uh, I found it really interesting. I was a little disappointed in the house, actually. 
because I didn't feel like I had an idea of what the house looked like. You know, you come and see it from the front and then you go inside. And I almost got the feeling that it was a lot smaller than they were actually saying it was until, you know, I think maybe three quarters into the movie where the camera kind of pans around and you get this kind of computer generated model, maybe. But you actually see, oh, this is meant to be a, an enormous, enormous house. But when all you see is the front and then you go in and you spend so much time in the foyer and just in those rooms that are off the foyer, it doesn't feel that big. But one of the things I did like was the way that they had that the opening in the foyer where the weather is just allowed to come in and the snow was able to come in and the leaves are able to come in. And it's just it's just open to the elements and that's that was a really neat thing where the house was wounded. The house itself is wounded because of the horror that has happened in it. And even though, I mean, then you also had this idea of the pulsing clay beneath the house, which definitely looked like blood. And in the trailers, you thought maybe it was blood. And when you find out it's not uh, I, I was almost a little disappointed to realize, oh, you know, it's just clay. It's just an illusion of life. And so the the house, though, it does feel like a character. It moves. It groans. It's hurt. And the problem with it being a character is I can't figure out, is it a, is the house itself a specter? Does it actually have uh, sentience or, or life or anything, or is it just a spectator where it's just kind of the, if, if walls could talk, you know, and, and really this is kind of, I guess the, uh, the ultimate extrapolation of if walls could talk where, uh, the ghosts then are coming to life and, and the ghosts themselves, you know, they are well created and then they also are characters in this. And it's interesting to know all the ghosts, except for Tom at the end, are, are women. Now they're all murdered by Tom and Lucille. And so you have, I should say all the ghosts who help Edith are women. I think maybe the baby ghost that the one was holding might've been a little baby boy, but all the ghosts that help her are women. Her mother is a ghost right at the beginning. <laughs> Don't go to Crimson Peak, <laughs> which come on, the movie's called Crimson Peak. The ghost is going to tell her not to go there. You know she's going there. Uh, that's one of those first moments where I mean that one could be couldn't be avoided. The the ghost the warning from the ghost you know in any kind of story that when the ghost comes and gives you a warning something's going to happen where that warning can't be followed through upon. But it's her mother, it's their mother, it's their other two victims. Those are the ghosts that are helping her, and they're all women, and. Then it's also interesting that the primary evil, the 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 force of evil in the, the relationship between Tom and and Lucille, the murderess, she Lucille is a killer. She's a murderer, and she's going around, and she is the one who's taking the lives of these women who are marrying Tom. She is the one who took the life of their mother. I mean, the, he was a part of that, but, and then she was the one who took the life of Edith's father. And so she is the horror. The horror of this visually comes from the ghosts, but the horror of the movie, as far as the character, the monster, the serial killer is Lucille. And 
again, they kind of hang a lampshade on this right up at the beginning. We had that conversation between Lucille and Edith where they're talking about butterflies that are dying. And she says, you know, they're dying and they they get their heat from the sun. But when the sun goes away, they die. And Edith says, well, that's sad. And Lucille says, no, it's not sad. It's nature. That's what happens. Everything dies and everything else eats it. You know, And, and then Edith says, well, there's got to be more to it than that. And Lucille then, again, another theme, beautiful things are fragile. And she talks about how back home they only have black moths that are um, – they lack beauty and they're, they thrive in the dark. And Edith says, well, what do they feed on? Butterflies. Uh, and obviously what you have here is Edith is the butterfly and Lucille is the moth. Because Lucille literally is going to feed on Edith. Now she's feeding on her wealth. She's feeding on her wealth. I was almost expecting those. And this is where the mystery of things I was expecting there to be an element of maybe Tom and Lucille are actually eating the wives or bleeding them dry and bathing in their blood for eternal life. But no, it's just about money, uh, which a little bit disappointing. But again, it's not about the plot. (laughs) So if you're going in it looking for the big plot twist, it's about money. You remember they said that at the beginning of the movie? Well, that's actually what it is. Um. Yeah, and, and the idea of the house being alive, they also talk about that, where a house like this becomes a living thing over time, and it holds on to things and keeps them alive. And some of them are good, some of them are bad, and some should never be spoken about. And as, again, they are just hanging a lampshade on it. They are literally saying, this is what the story is about. This house has held on to things, those things being the ghosts, the spirit, of people who died and were killed by a nasty, nasty evil. And I guess if I were going to pull out some sort of, um, you know, big spiritual theme here, it's that your sins will find you out. They were very careful to hide the bodies. They were very careful to only go after people who had no one else who cared about them. They had gotten away with two murders of, you know, wives that they were using to get their money to again mine the clay to dig into the the soil they had gotten away with killing their mother kind of because they were able to you know while we're young and they were put into the sanitarium or whatever but they were brought back out but the house held on to that and it it then was revealing it to edith and that's what ends up killing them is that they brought her in she was open to this spiritual realm since she was a child when her mother gave her the original warning to stay away from Crimson Peak. But, you know, she didn't know that's where she was going when she went there in the first place. So she wasn't disobeying her mother. She just didn't understand what the warning was actually for. So there is that idea, though, of, you know, your sins will find you out. And in this case, the sins were revealed by pretty bloody looking <laughs> ghosts. Uh, then, well, we'll get to the big twist here in a, in a minute, but uh, the other theme that we get from the beginning of the movie is where we have this lady as a writer. And, you know, that's a trope where you have the main character. If the main character is a stand in for 
one of the creators, they're usually going to be a writer and they're going to talk about writing. They're going to talk about storytelling and they're going to say something profound about the story that you're reading or the story that you're watching. And in this case, you know, she does bring up this, you know, when, when Tom talks to her about her story, having ghosts and she says, well, uh, it's not a ghost story. It's a story with ghosts and it's, uh, and ghosts are a metaphor for the past. And I do have to question uh, if ghosts really are a metaphor for the past here in this movie, uh, because they aren't just a metaphor for the past. They are living parts of the past that are actually acting in the present and literally giving her help, pointing out things that she needs to go and see and do and then helping her to in the end a ghost helps her to win the final battle so she's you know she she gets her happy ending and so I, i do question are these ghosts actually metaphors of the past but definitely this is a story with ghosts in it not meant to be a ghost story and it has jump scares which yeah whatever i mean there's creepiness that was more, I don't know, felt more natural to things. The jump scares, some of them felt like they're kind of cheats, but the movie definitely is more about a discomforting feeling than a fearful feeling. You know, you, you never, I, I, I never had a rush of adrenaline as I was waiting to see what's going to happen. It was kind of, Oh, Ooh, that's kind of yucky. Oh, that's kind of gross. Oh, that, Oh, that scared me. ha <laughs> And then you get to the ending. And like I said, I had theories as the movie was going and the the theories were slowly just kind of, okay, nope, not this. Nope, not that. Nope, not this. And they, the clues are, are, are very obvious early on. And then when you get the reveal, you're just, well, I, I kind of thought that, but the reveal I wasn't expecting as I was going through the movie, I was with Edith here. They are. They say they're brother and sister. And at first I'm like, oh, yeah, they are definitely, you know, they're, they're brother and sister because they were, that's what we're told. And there's something a little uncomfortable about their, their relationship. And then as you're getting further in that discomfort about their relationship kind of caused me to wonder, okay, are they married and pretending to be brother and sister? And it just goes back to maybe even that naive version of me, you know, who Darth Vader literally told me he's Luke Skywalker's father by saying, Luke, I am your father or however the dialogue went, but I didn't believe it. I did not believe it until return of the Jedi when they had to tell me. And so here I am. Okay. So they told me their brother and sister, but I'm not believing it now because it seems like there's a physical relationship between them. And then, Nope, it doesn't just seem like it. She's jealous of the physical relationship that he has with Edith. It's not just jealous of their relationship. You can tell it's she's jealous of the physical relationship. So maybe they aren't brother and sister. Maybe they're actually married. And this is the big secret that they found out back home. Nope, they're not married. Yep, they are brother and sister. And yep, this is an incestuous relationship. And the movie then gets very uncomfortable, very unsettling. And it it just, yeah. 
so that, that, I mean, I guess that was the most horrific part of it in, in a lot of ways was that reveal. But, and, you know, cause you go from there into her confrontation with them and everything, but I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm watching it and the story is not important. I don't know if I'm ever going to go back to this. Uh, like Pan's Labyrinth, I've watched a few times and I plan to watch it again sometime in the near future or in the future, maybe not the near future. This one, I have no plans to purchase. I have no plans to Redbox. I have no plans to Netflix. I just, I've seen it. I've been there. I liked where I was. And when I say I liked where I was, I mean the visuals, the house, all that stuff. But where the story took me, I'm not all that interested in that. <laughs> so uh, beyond that, I don't think there's really much more that I want to talk about. Um, I'm Again, like with, with uh, The Visit, I, I feel like maybe there's more I could talk about. But this not being a conversation with a back and forth, um, it's not really <laughs> causing me to you know, jump in with, oh, yeah, that's a new idea. I would like to hear from you, though. I would like to hear from you what your thoughts are about Crimson Peak. Tell me, how wrong am I? Uh, <laughs> because I'll admit it, I'm I'm wrong sometimes. But I, I feel like, I, I mean, I'm, I've covered what I would like to cover about this. Uh, there's not a lot of things I'm really burning to talk about. And then the movie itself talks about itself and says, you know, Edith is a beautiful butterfly. Lucille is a moth who feeds on her. And you know, ghosts are a metaphor of the past or whatever. So I'm, I'm going to leave it here. And I'd like to, like I said, uh, you can comment on our website or maybe comment on the Facebook post that we put this up on. Uh, let me know what you think about this. And we have, we haven't had a lot of feedback it, recently. There's been a few things that we're going to address in an episode or two to come. Uh, next episode is actually a special episode. It comes from a transmission that we received when my, there was some feedback as I plugged my iPad in and was, uh, you know, downloading the latest podcasts uh, on my podcast app. And it came from this weird place. And so I'm actually going to be playing that recording in the next episode that comes from this weird, uh, maybe even alternative uh, dimension or perhaps an alternate timeline. And we'll, we'll just I'll just leave it at that. Uh, beyond that, I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about next, but we are going to be having fun doing it. So uh, I want to, again, thank you for listening. And until next time, Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast, hosted by Ben Avery, Steve MacDonald, and Dr. Jace O'Neill. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. Please join in the conversation by visiting our website, strangersandaliens.com, where you will find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangers. Or you can leave us a voicemail on the Strangers and Aliens hotline. Just call 1-804-37-ALIEN and leave your message. And once again, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.